You're listening to The Pod Social. I'm Mark Mack and this is episode 5. This episode was recorded on a Sunday lunchtime, eventually. Technical issues pushed back the recording by about 45 minutes. I could probably do a whole separate episode on technical issues. This intro was recorded about a week later. During that week, the British Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, was admitted and subsequently discharged from intensive care at St Thomas's Hospital in London. Premier League footballers and former footballers alike got upset because it was suggested that they should solder some of the responsibility for supporting non-playing staff at their clubs. And, well, I'm sure other things happened, but outside of COVID-19, the news didn't really cover a whole lot else. The weather was nice, at least. Anyway, on to the episode. I first met my guest on my birthday, around the end of 2016, and she's inflicted varying degrees of pain upon me periodically ever since. The person I met those three and a half years ago is a very, very different person from the one that I know now whilst at the same time very much the same. That probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but hopefully over the course of this episode, you might find a little more clarity. So, without further ado, featuring special guest, autistic Welsh hermit crab tattoo artist, Lala Inky. This is episode five. Skype has just told me that to avoid legal issues, I need to tell you that I'm recording now. Ah, uh, I can see that you're recording. So I, legally, I consent to this being recorded. <laughs> First of all, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm really good, Mark. Yeah, thank you so much for asking me to be part of this. Yeah, no problem at all. How are you getting on with the social distancing at the minute? Oh, God, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm living my uh, best hermit life, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'm naturally an autistic recluse, apart from obviously uh, the negative impact of the pandemic, you know, uh, loss of life and a sense of normal society, which is incredibly sad and terrifying. What I'm really uh, impressed with is the sense of community, like our communities are thriving. In amongst this, we're kind of like thinking outside the box with a lot of things. We're inventing new ways to connect and kind of like do our jobs from home. I'm really impressed with us that's such a beautiful thing yeah I'm doing my bit uh by keeping safe in uh, my little slice of paradise and my cat uh <laughs> Sid he's living his best life as well yeah it's scary stuff but I'm using it as a as a chance to go deeper into my interests and like into okay. my brain and really kind of like get to grips with my with myself and kind of like expanding expanding that it's been a really great opportunity I'm calling it a, a creative retreat <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, I recently moved home and I've got a bathtub, so I've been spending a serious amount of time in my bathtub. I want it to be known that during this uh, unprecedented piece of human history, this uh, incredible worldwide event, I spent most of it in my bath. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we we moved house as well recently, actually. Um, oh, but, nice, nice. Yeah, but but we don't have a bath. So, oh what? I know. Oh my I know. god. Yeah, the idea was that we were going to put a, a new bathroom in at some point, and the bath is definitely going to come with it. But what with everything going on, there's not many people working in the bathroom refitting industry at the minute. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a bit of a deficit there, I think. <laughs> How did your cat take to moving house as well? Because I know you're supposed to keep cats indoors for like two weeks and then get lost. Or is he an indoor cat anyway? Yeah, he's an indoor cat now. I, I adopted him and he very much enjoys going outside. So he he's he's kind of getting used to it still. He's still quite stressed out from the move. He gets like kind of agitated and stuff like every now and again. But I, I think he's all right. He um he's quite needy, which is great. That's <laughs> exactly what I want um in someone that's sharing my place of living. He's yeah, he's he's a good cat. Yeah, he's just getting fed lots, getting cuddled a lot, and he's he's currently sleeping on my bed in the sun. Oh, nice. so, yeah. yeah, we let our cat out about five minutes after we moved in. <laughs> oh god. Uh, <laughs> you, no, he's did you, did you get him he's back? really streetwise. Yeah, he came back about an hour later with a well, asking for food and then wanted to go out again. He's the kind of cat you can't you can't keep him in no matter how hard you try. 
He's never going to be I, staying um, in one place. I remember you talking about this cat when I last tattooed you. Yeah, he's an arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys, you guys aren't on good terms. <laughs> no, no, I don't think we ever will be. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you say he he left for ages? Yeah, he did. He moved out for a couple of days. Um, <laughs> I, my wife was a lot more worried about it than I was. <laughs> <laughs> I think he just went on some sort of bender. He oh, did come back in <laughs> He's been on the nip again, the catnip. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Woke up in someone else's shed. <laughs> <laughs> With another cat he's never met before. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Ah, oh, okay. We could talk about cats and moving house and, and whatnot for, for longer. We really could. Yeah. <laughs> We'd probably be 100%. here for days. Obviously, the main thrust of this podcast is related to social media, so I'll probably move on to that now, if that's all right. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. What are your first memories of using social media? Is it something that was on your periphery, or were you particularly into it? Oh, my God. I think, oh, like MySpace and Tumblr. Okay. Is, is, is Tumblr social media particularly? It's just uh, like I'd a, probably say so. Yeah, well, it's just like a constant stream of pictures, isn't it? I guess, like, Pinterest has replaced tumblr now but it was definitely my space wasn't it i was obsessed i was such like a kind of i wanted to be like a myspace girl like a kind of tumblr girl and then okay. i kind of like re i realized how much work it was <laughs> <laughs> i kind of realized how much you put a lot of effort into your profile then on myspace like i i think i remember doing all the html do you remember that yeah absolutely yeah, the the kind of the songs I was obsessed with kind of like summarizing my life inside those songs, like kind of crystallizing <laughs> my entire human experience down to like which fucking Canting Crow song was most like me or something. I don't even know. <laughs> I, I had terrible music taste back then and I have terrible music taste now. It's not really changed. Oh, nice. I think I think on one of my um, one of my previous episodes, I was talking about picking the songs for MySpace. I always tried to pick something as underground as possible to make me seem cool. Ah, uh, yeah, I didn't yeah, necessarily yeah. like it. I didn't. I wasn't necessarily into that song, but I wanted to have the image that like if you if you want someone that's a little bit underground, a little bit out there, then this is the MySpace profile that you need to visit. I think I I was just trying to summarize how I felt, trying to basically put like as many hidden messages in my own experience in the lyrics. As right. much as possible. Yeah, so people could kind of like secretly decipher my character within a couple of few minute long songs, which just seems <laughs> so stupid now. But I guess yeah. I, I was much more of a, well, I was much less of a person then because I was, you know, so many years younger. So I, I guess you could summarize my experience in like 10 minutes because <laughs> I didn't do a lot <laughs> back then. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Around that time, I kind of wanted to just play video games as well. It was kind of like focus on being a MySpace girl or play video games. And I was just like, hmm, play video that games. That sounds like quite the lifestyle. That was, yeah. Yeah, I was, I mean, I was such a noob for ages using social media. I just used it to kind of post stupid pictures and talk about myself. It's not like a thousand miles away from what I use it for now. <laughs> but there's not it's not really any change i've constantly been taking pictures I, I checked my ipad uh this morning and over five years i've taken seventy thousand photos wow yeah so that that was a bit of a that was a bit of a weird like kind of <laughs> realization yes it's been it's been a bit of an evolution for i, I think like myspace and facebook are quite similar there's just less customization now yeah yeah, definitely. And I don't, I don't remember there being so many adverts on MySpace either. Oh, God, no. Yeah. And, it, and it's a lot more, um, it's a lot more like algorithms. Yeah. Did algorithms even exist back in the MySpace days? I don't think um, so. I'm, I'm sure they probably did in some form, but not, not in the way that, that Facebook kind of shows you what you already want to see rather than everything else, if that makes sense. Taking a more kind of broad look at social media, it's clearly got both positives and negatives to it. Do you think that one outweighs the other i think it's kind of like on its own it's just a means of communication kind of like skype kind of like telephone calls kind of like text messages and they can be used for good or bad 
like you can arrange extremist gatherings through any kind of like communicative equipment, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the same vice versa for good, for good. So, you know, you, you can use it for, you know, sinister purposes by like, oh, like big corporations or kind of like we as individuals can use it for good. Like we can raise money for charities. We can kind of like rally awareness for like small kind of ostracized groups in society, like communities. We can raise awareness for kind of like things like autism, chronic illness and like rare conditions and like gain help and support where it's needed most, kind of like crises and like environmental disasters. And I think the biggest thing that I am using it for, especially now during the lockdown, is kind of like connecting with people like like-minded individuals and growing community, creative communities. Yeah, sure. Um, you can attract uh, the right people to more of the right things. You can use it for the, the opposite of that as well. But I think progressing humanity as a whole is what it's primarily used for. And I hope that's what it's primarily used for. And, you know, you know that I'm a massive closet conspiracy theorist, Mark. (laughs) I do. I certainly Um, do. uh, I mean, you know, as much as I think social media is kind of like a massive data harvest and social experiment for advertising, you know, none of the photos or information we post really belong to us. You know, we kind of sign that right away when we agree to the terms and conditions that, you know, there's kind of agendas pushed in front of us, you know, like kind of like newspaper articles aren't real, parading as truth and and all things like that, like kind of fake news, fake posts and stuff. But I think for the most part, we're, we're doing a good thing with it. And I think it's down to who whose hands it's in, basically. So is it fair to say then that you don't trust social media as such? (laughs) Uh, Of course not. (laughs) No, I... (laughs) I think you can um I'm on the side of it like like I'm on its side but I just I I only trust it to a point and and I I think that helps me keep my distance with it stops me from getting too involved because I think it can be kind of like a bit of a monster at times uh, a bit of like an insatiable monster kind of feeling that you need to kind of feed the gram feed the Instagram feed the Facebook and just keep Uh, kind of pushing out processed kind of like polished work and just positive content all the time yeah and obviously people aren't just positive like Mm. people there's there's a whole a a mix aren't they so yeah definitely understand what you're getting out there obviously your your career is basically is is a tattoo artist Mm -hmm. and a very good one at that so oh thanks keep keep it up Um, (laughs) how did you uh how did you get into tattooing to start with how long have you been doing it for Oh god, nine years. Nine years of been tattooing. But Nearly a I, I guess I like started my journey when I was like eighteen. Um okay. so I yeah, I was eighteen and I got my first tattoo. I always had in my mind that I was gonna be heavily tattooed. I just wanted to look like gift wrap, basically. That was like <laughs> I just wanted to okay. look like wallpaper. That was kind of what what I wanted for myself. Then I got my first tattoo and it was just you know, when people say, and that's when I met my wife, that's when I met my husband. Right. Like, <laughs> that was when I met my job. I remember the day. I literally remember like that feeling that, you know, that kind of rush of like, this is it. And I think since I was 18, I, I want to say I tried every day. I didn't try every day. <laughs> I tried more or less consistently since I was 18 to when I was 24 to get to that goal. I was pretty stubborn. Like that's one thing I know that I am is I'm incredibly stubborn and headstrong. And I was, I just kind of like went for it, kept going for it. And even when I fell on my face, I just kind of got back up again and kept doing it. And it, and, and I, like, I just, I, I really like kind of annoyed a lot of the people, a lot of people in the <laughs> industry by just doing that partly because it's just it's just quite embarrassing to see it just see someone consistently just be so annoying and so (laughs) just relentless and just maybe I don't give myself enough credit I was just resilient that was like the nice positive word I'm choosing to give myself in this (laughs) and I just kept going and and I think now I still don't I don't have like that tattooer I'm not like a tattooer I don't have that like rock and roll kind of like status I'm not like I'm not I wouldn't call myself famous I think everyone has a different definition of that I mean I tried doing that I kind of gave that a go I thought like being more renowned working in bigger more commercial studios was like a progression upwards 
rather than sideways or downwards. For me, it was a progression downwards because my my soul suffered so much by kind of climbing the ladder. In climbing the ladder, I kind of fell in the pit and it was it was not good. I kind of like felt like I had to keep up with everyone. Sure. Um, and I think keeping up with everyone is just something I've just completely surrendered from doing now. I just don't, I just don't do it anymore. I think that's why I'm kind of thriving in this kind of lockdown stuff because it's kind of like this is exactly what I kind of have worked so hard to be okay with is just yeah. sitting here, quite literally sitting <laughs> here. Whereas if this had happened to me four years ago or three years ago or like before I got sober, this would have been fucking torture absolute torture i'd be crawling up the walls 100 percent. i would just want attention all the time since i got sober and stuff i have no problem kind of dropping off the radar for like days at a time dropping off social media for a bit i, I do that kind of intermittently still and it's it's really good for me do you think it's good to take a break from social media from time to time then yeah i think so i am um, I, I think i went a bit too far with it in january I had a pretty horrendously painful breakup and breakdown in January. I had like a health scare. I had like a CT scan and all these kind of other tests. I kind of lost my partner that was, you know, a kind of self-proclaimed avoidant. And I kind of had a breakdown in the sense of I kind of didn't know what else to do. I couldn't have anyone connected to me. Just the feeling of people being connected to me felt physically painful. I still get that now. I think I think it's a trait of my autism is that I, I feel things so strongly, even knowing that people can get hold of me via my phone um, right. can, be, can be quite painful, especially when I'm really overwhelmed. When I get overwhelmed, I shut down and shut out. I deactivated my Instagram, my Facebook, everything for like a weekend. I just hid my iPad and my phone down like the side of my sofa and I just, I physically, like, I felt like I was hiding from my own life. Like, it was really scary. Like, I kind of felt like I died a bit. Like, a, li- like a little bit of me died. Because it was like, oh, it was wow. all that kind of modern, that kind of online persona, that kind of online life that stays alive. You know, like, even when people pass away, their profiles are still alive. Yeah, yeah. I, f- I felt like by shutting those down, it was kind of like, a, like an online suicide. And that was that was really powerful. And it was it was really freeing. So in, in that kind of death, I felt like I had more life in, in the real world. I had more time and more space. I spent most of that weekend crying and like writing and reading. And it, it was a really powerful, really powerful weekend. And I kind of I got to the bottom of a lot of things that I needed to process. A, a lot of my autism is I need time to process stuff. And I'll feel really overwhelmed, not know why. And then you give me like three or four days and I will be able to tell you in 10,000 words exactly what was wrong the whole time. <laughs> that was really powerful. It, it kind of, it really messed up coming back. So when I, when I came back, it messed up my, the reach to my clients. So my Facebook page wasn't reaching any of my clients anymore because it had been deactivated. Right. So there was a kind of like residual kind of fallout from that, which I didn't, I didn't realize would happen. I mean, I posted regardless and it didn't, it didn't hurt my self-esteem as much as it, I thought it would. It took weeks until my regular clients that I know and love were even seeing my posts again. Yeah, that was really interesting. Sounds kind of um, poetic in a way, almost the death and the rebirth, I suppose. I love doing that. Honestly, it's like my favorite thing. I feel like I've lived so many lifetimes and I, and I think since getting sober, I've literally like died and come back to life so many times. I've, I've changed so much. I feel like I change every month at the moment. Every month I go through that kind of shedding, that kind of like growing and shedding. Yeah. Like, a, like a hermit crab, like an actual <laughs> hermit crab. I am a hermit crab. That is, that is, my, that is my life. <laughs> <laughs> Briefly going back to tattooing again for a bit. Do you have a tattoo, a favourite tattoo that you've done for someone? Obviously not including the work that you've done on me. <laughs> um, you know, why, why you know that's favorite? my favourite one. You know. Obviously. Don't tell anyone, obviously. you know. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep it completely to myself. 
So for me, what makes a tattoo my favourite is like a combination of the tattoo that I'm technically proud of, like the kind of technical, the technicality and the, you know, where I've impressed myself and kind of like outdone myself, where it's like a tattoo of that calibre and the client. And, you know, it's like a combination of the tattoo and the client. I've mostly done my best work on the best people. And whenever I think of my best work... I'll take that as a compliment, obviously. Yeah, yeah, good, good. You should, (laughs) you should. Whenever I think of my best work, I kind of imagine simultaneously what the client looks like. And I kind of like, in, in a way, I kind of feel their warmth and their personality tied into my own work. I'm definitely not gonna list my favourites on here because I, I just don't want to I really don't want to offend anyone but I just like <laughs> to say that I hope that everyone has my best work on them knows that you know I've kind of made them feel that at some point in in during like the appointment or outside of the appointment on social media and I just want everyone to know who fits that description that I've said just now that I, I want I want them to feel as special as I hold them to be 100%. So obviously social media itself has exploded really in the last sort of five, ten years. Tattooing as well, I guess, because I'm speaking from the perspective of someone that I got my first tattoo before I got a Facebook account or a MySpace account. And I remember the kind of stereotypical image of a tattoo. Well, it was a tattoo parlour then rather than a tattoo shop or a a studio. And my first tattoo was very much finding the the local parlour. Walking in, there would be a guy with facial tattoos, not done particularly well, smoking a cigarette in the corner. And then you'd kind of like look at the look at the flash that would be it. Now it seems completely different. Do you think the social media itself has played a big role in that? Or do you think that was a natural progression? Yeah, I think I think social media has played like a massive part in that. Also, I just think just society progressing more online has had an effect on that too. So like I had that experience too, as, a, as like a first timer getting my first tattoo, like the guy just all flash on the walls, guy covered in face tattoos, hand tattoos and stuff, all skulls, uh, all skulls (laughs) skulls. everywhere. (laughs) And then like, they had like the girly section. So like flowers and shit was just like in like a small corner. (laughs) And I remember just kind of like pointing at like an orchid, like a little orchid flower and just being like, can I get that on my shoulder? And he was like, yeah. I was like, can I get like stars on it? instead of like tribal and he was like yeah and I was just like oh my god this is like a custom (laughs) design this is like I am creating my own art on my body like I had all that cliche kind of like god yeah I I I was like I was my night my own nightmare client (laughs) (laughs) but yeah and and I and I got it done I didn't really look after it very well and then I just like kept getting more and then you know the guy that did my first tattoo I kind of like started my tattoo apprenticeship with um he sadly passed away last year which which I found out unfortunately uh so you know rest rest in peace he um yeah so he taught me a lot of kind of the basics that I know now I didn't really like learn to tattoo through him there was a lot of kind of mm, I won't speak ill of him but it was it was a uh, unhealthy environment so I left to get a fine art degree I went to uni and yeah just kind of like went from there to improve my art but I think um, in terms of like social media and tattooing, it's definitely gone from that kind of back alley, the local tat shop inked up for yeah. you tats, for you, or, <laughs> you know, whatever kind of like cringe name, like flames and ink or something. I'm really, yeah. I apologize <laughs> to anyone that has a tattoo shop by that name, Soz. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, no disrespect. But I think now where you've got more people who are connected the nicest thing and also the worst thing about tattooing modern tattooing now is you can talk to me whenever you want if you want to anyone can communicate with me at any time of day any day of the week whether or not they should is a completely different question but they they have the ability to kind of see my whole life or whatever I choose to post of my life on social media so there is a kind of like like a sense of close proximity to their tattoo artist outside of the appointment which I I Um, I love that obviously I've I've traveled quite a bit to tattooed by you specifically yeah to be perfectly honest the the kind of travel is largely irrelevant as long as that I kind of 
end up with the work that I want, I suppose. But one of the reasons that I chose you to tattoo me was not just because you were good at what you do, but also, I guess, through social media, I kind of I kind of got an idea of what you were about. I kind of got an idea of what your personality was like. The fact that you were into anime really helped as well. Do you find that many of your clients come to you just because of the standard of your work, or is it a combination of the work plus you? So... Thank you. I, I appreciate you so much traveling, Mark. That's like that. That still blows me away. How many hours you put in to come and see me? I, I really appreciate that. Thank you yeah, so no much. Worries. No worries. And and that is that is one of the reasons why I like that people feel like they have a connection with me on social media, and it's one of the reasons why I do post quite candidly sometimes. And now more than ever, I'm a lot more candid. I've had a lot of therapy, and and in being really honest with myself, I can be more honest with everyone and I think that kind of makes people feel safer because I've kind of dropped my defenses and I've dropped a lot of kind of uh, my ego with tattooing and my own sense of self and I love that my interests come through quite easily through my social media people know what I like people know what I'm obsessed with and I love that and I've picked tattoo artists to create work for me based on their personality that I can see through social media and their online persona. And I travel a lot to get my own work done as well. My kind of aspirations is I want to be a tattoo artist that I would I would pick, essentially, right. and that I would travel to. So I love that by posting more about what I love, more about what I'm honest about, I can attract people that are that agree with me, that kind of feel kind of kindred in a way. Again, love anime, love Star Wars, love like nerdy shit and like intellectual stuff, uh, mental health, you know, advocates and stuff like that. People who are kind of maybe exploring sobriety or at least cutting down on stuff, maybe who are making more positive changes, just being the best version of themselves, whatever that looks like for them, which I'm 100% for. So focusing a little bit more on yourself then rather than your career as a tattoo artist. So I always do like a little bit of research on my guests. And when I say research, I mean, I scroll down their Instagram profile. One of the things that I notice is that it's it's not just pictures of your work that you post. It's links to your blogs, your artwork, you in the gym, or there's a lot of sunsets and scenery <laughs> as well. That's on there as well. There's, Honestly, if I scroll all the way down, the I think probably the most common image that I saw was the sky. Was it kind of a was it kind of a conscious decision then for you to not have a separate tattooing account and keep those those two things together? I know you kind of covered that in the previous answer, but is that really what you wanted to get across in terms of what people see of you, not just your work? You wanted people to see you as well. Yeah, I think so. That can be viewed in a in a purely narcissistic sense that, you know, I kind of want to be viewed as an individual as me rather than just my work. You know, if you're just shopping for a tattoo artist, it should just be, you know, my profile should professionally just be my work. But I think I think tattooing as as professional as I really strive to keep it I think it's a deeply personal experience and you are spending quite a few hours with me uh, in my private studio and I think it's my responsibility to kind of like let you know what you're letting yourself in for (laughs) (laughs) and and also um, then you can like build up a kind of sense of how the appointment's going to go down it also just ensures if I'm the right artist for you and it's totally fair you know there are all types of people out there if you enjoy you know drinking quite heavily and you know doing drugs and stuff like that's totally fine like I would have been 100% on board with you about five years ago I would have been like yeah like getting fucked up the festivals as well but you know <laughs> now but now you know I just kind of like want to talk about Disney Star Wars Taylor Swift and therapy <laughs> <laughs> and and I think I think if you can't stand Disney Taylor Swift therapy or you know sobriety, it's gonna be a slow day. It's gonna be a re- it, you know it's gonna be a really slow day. And we're gonna have those kind of like we're gonna catch on conversations where we're gonna have to change the subject quite quickly, or I'm yeah. gonna have to like use my conversational superpowers to just. I don't know, try and turn it around and just focus on the positives. There's always a common ground with someone. Um, That's the one thing I've learned in nine years of tattooing people. There's always a common ground that you can find with someone. It can be really hard. 
And even though you might not agree with a lot of things that they do, and they might have admitted some pretty harrowing things to you during that appointment, things that have quite frankly made me really uncomfortable, you can kind of like cut through it and find that common ground, at least get to a point where you finish a tattoo or finish the day at least and just kind of like get through it and still remain professional. I think that's my absolute priority for me is trying to keep as professional as possible because yeah. I think that's the one the one thing that helps kind of it, it keeps my distance professionally from clients as well as much as I like people knowing personal things about me that I choose to put out there myself I think there definitely needs to kind of be a professional distance of, of some kind and people need to kind of respect that. Sticking with you then I guess how have you I know you've, again you've, you've kind of answered that a little bit in the previous answer but how have you changed over the the last five to ten years in the social media played much of a role in how you've developed oh my god <laughs> how much have i changed <laughs> oh my god well, like, i, I kind of already know got? part of the answer to this but <laughs> uh how long have you got honestly um <laughs> yeah nine years like what you know what a long time of you know just in terms of you know any amount of time to do anything I've I've, ne- I've not done anything for nine years, <laughs> apart from essentially breathe. <laughs> um, I think tattooing has been like the longest thing I've ever done. I've not even played video games consistently for nine years. I think tattooing has been like the, the biggest, most consistent, most wonderful, most destructive, most creative part of my life. Hundred percent. I've learned so much. I, I I don't know how to put it into words. It, it quite literally held me together. It gave me a purpose. Hundred percent. It it really kind of like it gives my life meaning. Gives my life purpose. And and that's not just tattooing because I I know I'm not tattooing at the moment. I still feel like I'm a tattoo artist. And I know that all my clients are still there. All my tattoos are out there in the world, living their little lives. But I think for me, it's just given me purpose and it's given me connection to people. And that's been the most important part for me. It's definitely, it's kind of, it's essentially paid my bills, you know, for nine years. It's kept my head above water. It's kind of housed me. It's filled my home with beautiful little stupid little ornaments and nice blankets and good cushions, <laughs> good candles, incense. You know, it's kind of like yeah, yeah. it. my job has helped create me and I've helped create my job. And it's, it, it really blows me away. I still, every day I set up for work, I, I have tears in my eyes and I, and I get that kind of Christmas day feeling every day. And it's great because wow. I live, because I, I, I live so close to work now because I work on my own. I set up and run my business entirely on my own. I can have those intense joy, joyous moments and I don't have to feel ashamed. I don't have to ever feel like someone's going to be like, oh my God, are you actually crying right now? <laughs> and I, I can I, I can just have that kind of like heart bursting joy of just like, fuck, I did it and I'm doing it and I'm going to do it and I'm still doing it. Yeah, it's been like, I don't know, fucking magical is the correct term, <laughs> I think. I think for me in the last two years, especially two, three years has been incredibly important. So I think getting sober two and a half years ago was a big deal for me. I started getting sober three years ago and then I I kind of finished off, I completed the sobriety by giving up alcohol then about five or six months after kind of giving up occasionally using like recreational drugs of like different incrementing classes. And, you know, that for me had kind of started a kind of roller coaster of like kind of self-discovery, self-improvement and kind of like digging to find who I really was. I was diagnosed uh, autistic at 32 so last year I um I was at a point with my business that I could afford um some pretty intense therapy and I took it upon myself after getting like a new reconstruction and opening my own business I decided to kind of like get weekly CBT therapy for for the most part of a year so lots and lots of CBT sessions and in amongst that I was diagnosed autistic quite early on because my therapist saw it straight away. It was it was concern that I'd had. I had a I had a suspicion that I was on the spectrum for a really long time. Yeah. As time went on, I kind of stopped making excuses, and I was like, okay, I'm ready now. And 
yeah, I was diagnosed autistic at 32. That was that was tough. I mean, it's taken, I would say, about a year to really accept it. A lot of people close to me didn't. And my most recent partner really struggled with it. And that was that was really tough. Because I think I was also struggling with it myself as well. But I also recently was uh, diagnosed with fibromyalgia. So yeah. that is uh, so that was classed as kind of a lifelong chronic illness that I've always had. And it kind of came about through a mixture of like hereditary and from my childhood, basically. In my formative years, I kind of developed it. And that that blew me away as well. Because uh, I thought it was uh, a genetic disorder or gen- genetic syndrome called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is to do with the collagen in right. uh, in your connective tissue. So I was kind of prepared to be diagnosed after being autistic. I kind of gave myself a lot of time to process that. Then when I felt like I was ready, I kind of started the process to be diagnosed with EDS, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. But then what I was actually diagnosed with was something that was a lot more tougher to come to terms with. It was kind of like it wasn't written in my DNA. It was kind of given to me through outside influences and trauma and PTSD that I suffered in childhood, which was so incredibly tough, so tough to come to terms with because it was kind of like... It wasn't written in my DNA. Someone wrote it for me. So it was written for me. Someone wrote that over my default, which was which was really, really, really hard to come to terms with. Do you think having social media exacerbated any of the challenges that you came up against, or, or did it help to kind of support you through them, if that makes sense? So when I was first diagnosed autistic, I didn't post online about it. I um, I kind of kept it quiet. I honestly believed that if anyone knew I was autistic, no one would book in for tattoos with me anymore. Like people would kind of think, oh God, I don't want to be in a room with an autistic girl. Like that'll be really weird. It'll make me right. uncomfortable, which I, I'm sure there are people out there that still feel like that, which is totally fine. And that's, the, you know, that's their opinion. It just means that I respectfully won't ever tattoo them. And that works for me too. But I think... I was so afraid of posting about it. But then it was um, it was Autism Awareness Day on the 2nd of April and it's Autism Awareness Month this month. So right. in so in April last year, I kind of came out as autistic. I started posting about it more, um, talking about it in like the first person rather than just being an advocate for it uh, sure. and kind of making, making out that I had a family member when in case, you know, in, in fact, the the member was me so yeah it was what was really interesting was it did make some people uncomfortable like I, I did lose some clients I also um I disconnected with some clients I, I think they took my diagnosis quite badly or at least that's how I kind of saw it happening um right. people got uncomfortable that I was being more candid about stuff you know in being more honest about being autistic and chronically ill, I started being more realistic about my parameters and my limits as a professional person and as a tattoo artist. So I just started saying no more. Uh, I think knowing is like half the battle, isn't it? Kind of like know your enemy, but you know, yeah. knowing myself was was a huge part of it. So I, you know, I kind of just realised I got to like eight years tattooing, and I realised that I've only got. A finite amount of time left like I really do like I say that in a positive way not in a negative way I really do only have so many days left that I can tattoo people I only have so many more appointments left in me I don't know what that number is but I definitely know it's you know it has a limit I can't tattoo everyone and I, sh- I shouldn't so I read this quote the other week by saying no to less you say yes to more so I started saying no to stuff that just wasn't the right fit for me anymore, that I was just doing it because I felt that I needed to take on the project because it's simply because they've asked me to do it. And I kind of felt kind of like, oh, well, you should be grateful that they've even asked you, you know, uh, you, you need to do it. You have an obligation to do it. I kind of just stopped that kind of inner monologue. I, I'm not obliged to tattoo anyone. I have no obligation tattoo anyone I could literally say today I'm not tattooing anyone ever again and I don't have to give a reason ever I can say I can say no to anyone I I, I have no legal requirement to to say yes 
what if they've paid money, I can just give it back or whatever. You know, it's it's not. I started saying no. I started being quite honest with people who I I don't think I got on with very well. I don't I don't think they got on with me very well. But I think they were just coming to me for my standard of work, which I was so grateful for, and I still appreciate that so much. But I think a lot of it is I'm in that private studio now, and I have been for a year and a half. And I think if you generally don't get on with me and you don't like me, I can feel that. And I, and I started being more honest about that. I feel things a lot. I feel I feel things super, super strongly. I'm incredibly sensitive. And I'm not even like ashamed of saying that now. I think it is one of my like autistic superpowers. I'm incredibly, <laughs> incredibly sensitive. And, and I'm cool with that. But it just means that I can feel when someone doesn't like me. And I tried so hard to try and ignore that, but I can, I can feel it. And I think for me, it, it really does affect my standard of work. So I started saying no for the good of the both of us because right. I, didn't want, I didn't want them to have any kind of subpar tattoo. And I didn't want to put myself in that position because now I know that I have a condition where I physically get sick if my energy is depleted. I physically get psychosomatic symptoms. I, I, I am in a great amount of pain and I get chronic inflammation. I get chronic illness. I get like nausea, vomiting, headaches. I break out in cold sores, shingles. I get all these kind of like health issues if I am in stressful situations. I have basically like a medical reason for uh, saying no to things that don't make me and that person 100% comfortable and happy, which is a great excuse to get out of, get out of shit you don't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perfect one. One of the things that you started doing as well, I think it was towards the end of last year maybe, uh, you started writing a blog. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you so much for acknowledging that. So that's that's been like a really big thing for me because I feel like, there was like a snowball effect. So when I was diagnosed with autism, I kind of was like, oh, fuck, I kind of really know who I am now. And in kind of like learning that, I I have been quietly almost every day, been writing in the morning, almost every day, like three pages in a journal. Some weeks I hardly write at all. Like I'm not even going to say I'm puritanical with it and that I write every day. I absolutely do not write every day, but I write regularly that's as honest as I can be about it but like I think in writing every day I kind of thought oh, okay I have got some good stuff to say and like I've got some pretty good stories and I've got some pretty good kind of experiences and I know that personally me reading about other people's experiences have really helped me so I read uh, just before I got sober I read Russell Brand's recovery book I've read all of his books but recovery for me was a real like life changer. And that kind of helped me get sober as well. And I, I think reading about people's struggles has really helped me overcome my own. And I kind of realized like, fuck, I should start doing that. And also, again, it helped me to kind of build up that kind of persona and that kind of like, so people could figure out what kind of person I was and if they wanted to spend a whole day in a room with me. <laughs> kind of like just a great big like kind of warning like just so people know what they're getting themselves into which is why you know I post dumb stuff like sunsets and stuff because those things are really important to me and chances are if you hate sunsets it's going to be a weird appointment it's going to be a weird tattoo <laughs> appointment because um, yeah. I, I can't even describe how much I love sunsets and sunrises they, they we could do a whole podcast about that <laughs> <laughs> for me it's like a, a religious experience. It's really, it's really hard to describe, but they are so important to me. So I think chances yeah, yeah. are, if you fucking hate sunsets, we're going to have a slow day. <laughs> so I think, <laughs> and I think also I had a couple of like really intense negative experiences with some clients, some really, quite frankly, aggressive. I had like a lot of conflict uh, and aggression online with some clients in the summer last year. And I had a breakdown, 100% it set off a chain reaction of all these health issues in me. I took weeks off work. I was unable to work. I was unable to get out of bed for most of it. I later now know that it was a fibromyalgia flare-up. Right. And it was from the stress of dealing with these people 
but it was when I, st- I started to say no before I kind of knew how to say it um, delicately and professionally. When I'm overwhelmed, my autism kind of makes me quite blunt and quite literal. So I didn't say it quite as politely as maybe I should have. Right, okay. I, I, said, it, I said it honestly. You know, I really hurt them and I'm really sorry about that. But it's, it, it was my truth. It was really my truth that I, I was unable to move forward with tattooing them. And they took it so personally. And I, I think one of the side effects of social media f- feeling more connected to me and me being very candid through social media is people feel very kind of they get that proximity um, yeah. kind of connection with me which quite frankly, a lot of the time is one-sided. That's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, but it is one-sided. Like I know very little about my, some of my clients and they know lots about me. Yeah. And it just means that if I kind of professionally move away from them, you know, they can get very, very offended. They can take it as a personal rejection, which I, I can totally see that. And I'm really sorry about that, but I have to protect myself. And yeah, I, I, I was kind of like threatened by couple of clients like last year and it's it's just and I've had that before in my career but I think since getting sober and stuff I feel everything so much more live like as it happens like if something makes me sad I cry instantly whereas before if something makes me sad it would take months before I would kind of cry and then realize why so yeah it was it was it was incredibly hard work so the blog for me was a kind of suggestion from my therapist which I kind of went overboard with as I do with most things <laughs> she kind of su- I think she suggested it once in a year and now I've written like 60,000 words <laughs> <laughs> and it's incredibly candid. I, I do wonder sometimes that I've gone too far with it. But at the <laughs> same time, at the same time, I really just want to connect to people who feel the same, who are going through the same things. And I've been I've been able to be really honest with myself through therapy. I've been able to fearlessly explore myself. And I kind of was always aware of like the trauma and the PTSD that I had from childhood. I was always aware of that. Because it was so obvious what what I went through was so bad. But I think through therapy, I've been able to have so much clarity. And stoicism through CBT is really great with kind of really talking about it without that emotional trigger, without getting too emotionally overwhelmed by it all. So I think getting it all down in the blog has been really cathartic, really, really cathartic for me. And to be so candid is something I've never done before. I never used to be like this. I never used to speak about myself like this. If we were doing this podcast like five years ago, oh my God, it would have sucked. It would have been been so bad. I would have been so less interesting. (laughs) Yeah, it would have been very different. I'll give you that. (laughs) Yeah. It's been so great. And I and I think the response online, I feel like I'm gonna keep that part short because I will I will cry on, on the podcast otherwise. <laughs> I, I think the overwhelming support and the overwhelming connection and just the the positive response that I've had from everyone, like kind of long-term clients, clients that haven't booked in yet, people that thinking of booking in or just people that can't book in for any reason like maybe they're chronically ill or they have uh, skin conditions or something like that you know but they still support my work and I'm so grateful for that and it's kind of brought out of the woodwork a lot of people who are battling chronic illness people who are autistic I know for a fact that I've helped some people get sober and I've helped people get autism diagnosis is and I've helped people pursue their chronic illness diagnoses 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 what's a group of diagnoses called (laughs) (laughs) a A pod (laughs) (laughs) a pod of a diagnosis Uh, (laughs) then my my biggest my biggest goal and my biggest kind of like thing that I'm trying to pursue with this is attracting more people that I want to connect with and more people that I want to tattoo 
And since I've been so honest and so open about my autism, about my chronic illness, about my recovery, about my sobriety, about my therapy, about like my mental health journey, and just, you know, just being able to casually say, oh, I had a breakdown in January and not be so scared because I had a breakdown. I was also running my business and turning up for work every day as normal. And I want people to know that you can, you can do that. You can also have big breakdowns and not go to work. But yeah. I I want to I want to be really candid and really honest because I think if you've got a breakdown coming, trying to hide that is like the worst thing. I want to speak about having breakdowns and kind of fibromyalgia flare-ups and kind of stress and trauma as easily as people say, "Oh, I broke my leg skiing," because those things happened as well. Like I I broke my leg skiing and I had to have like a quite extensive knee reconstruction. The same way that I had an intense breakdown and needed twelve months of therapy. It's the same thing. It was an injury. Yeah. And, and I think people don't realise that brains <laughs> part of your body. You yeah. Hurt your brain. <laughs> hurt your brain <laughs> internally. Um. It's all matter. It's all the same. It's all the same stuff. Yeah, so it's been it's been incredible. By talking about all that stuff and being more honest, I've kind of attracted more people that are for that 100%. Rather than people that get uncomfortable. You know, I had some clients say things like, you know, you talking about your recovery all the time makes me uncomfortable. And I was like, okay, well, I can't stop. I, I can't, <laughs> like, because I, I, wa- I want to speak out loud because I can, because I'm really grateful to have that bit of a platform in a way I already have that kind of like a small audience I want to use that platform to speak out loud for anyone that's suffering in silence for anyone that's keeping quiet about something was it kind of a big thing then to I guess not just write the your blogs but take the step to share them as well it was such a release like every time I pressed that publish button it was like I, I just got more space in my chest more space in my stomach especially my last post that was I feel that that last post grief and growth yeah was a real like a long time coming that that had been in like the pipeline for a long time and it's like 10,000 words like I feel so sorry for anyone that reads that thinking it's a short blog (laughs) it really takes you an hour just to read it um and I really appreciate you know to anyone who's listening to this and has read it like I appreciate that so much thank you and it's incredibly candid it's really honest and, and I'm really kind of like brutally honest about a lot of stuff but I feel that I think people need to be more honest, especially on social media I'm very guilty and I will put my hand up right now that I am quite frankly a bit too positive Sometimes I can be uh, sickeningly positive about some things, but then I don't want to be too like bouncy and breezy with it. I want to be kind of realistic. You know that like good vibes only thing? Good vibes only. Yeah. yeah. I- I'm like all vibes always. Kind of like, <laughs> you know, those two things can exist. Like you can talk about having a breakdown and going to work and it being a lovely day. And all those things happened. All three of those things were true. Yeah. And it's not necessarily the one thing takes away from the other or changes the other. Okay. I just I just want to kind of normalize talking about it, really. I think like mental health awareness is kind of redundant now. I think we're all aware of it. <laughs> we all we all know now. I think we have to just like do a memo. We're, we're done doing mental health awareness. We all know what it is. We all it's kind of like, you know, I say this with respect like cancer awareness we know we know it we know we are fully fully fucking aware of it how awful it is you know I lost someone recently to cancer a friend of mine and it's devastating absolutely devastating and you know I, I know my dear friends have family members going through it and it's and it's it's devastating absolutely devastating so we know we all know about it and I think mental wellness And just maybe mental health honesty should be the new awareness Um, or like mental health candidness should be the new. Yeah. Mental health candidness. You can be candid and positive for sure. I I want to use that, I think. Definitely. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just just or just like being candid about the state of you, being candid about how you're doing and like what's going on. You know, for the same way you can say, oh, I've got a headache, but it's a beautiful day. You can say, oh, I've cried for two hours, but it's a beautiful day. You know, you can you can cry in the sun 
I highly yeah. recommend that. Oh my god, I love a cry in the sun. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I th- I think being afraid of bad emotions is like the worst, and it's the shame. I think shame is the most destructive force, and social media does kind of make that quite easy. Like you know, comparison being the thief of joy. You know, if if I wanted to, I could go online and I could see. I think Mark, you can maybe agree with to this. But I'm not like I'm not like a typical maybe like a female tattoo artist. Like I do the classics, like I do modeling occasionally, like that's fine. I'll kind of like do that a little bit and I quite enjoy that. But I don't kind of show up with full face of makeup, my hair is curled, I wear my hair down when I'm working, I wear like nice expensive clothes when I'm working. I absolutely do not. Chances are I've been deadlifting like at 8 a.m. <laughs> that morning. I'm wearing yeah. some kind of disgusting grey hoodie that I bought like two years ago. I don't have a Rolex. I literally have a plastic pink <laughs> swatch watch. And I have no intention to buy a Rolex ever in my life. I don't have expensive shoes. I've been wearing the same pair of shoes for two years. I'm kind of like, I just don't play that game. But I see, I do see those girls. I see those kind of like those Instagram girls, like those Instagram tattoo female artists. And they've got like, they've got fake eyelashes on when they're working. And, you know, they've got like, they've contoured. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like they, they have yeah, contoured yeah. for the appointment. And, you know, you know, I have got my hair scraped up. I've got a face mask on. I have no fake eyelashes on. Chances are I've not even got mascara on. So I look like I have no eyelashes. <laughs> and, you know, I'm t- and I'm just talking about like drinking a protein shake or like having Huel or playing Taylor Swift. I'm just not I'm not cool. I'm just and I'm just I'm cool with not being cool. And I think that's cool. but yeah I could do that you know I could go on social media and I could feel inferior you know I I could I could follow all those like accounts and just be like oh god I need to curl my hair I need to like you know wear more makeup when I'm working but I just think oh I could just not I could just not and I could just focus you know because I I don't tattoo people with my face I tattoo (laughs) people with my hands you know I I want that to be the focus I want my work to be the focus occasionally sunsets modeling pictures and blog as as the focus as well but yeah yeah um I think it's all about it's all about balance right yeah definitely yeah that's what that's what I'm striving for anyway one more thing then final thing Taylor Swift have you seen the documentary (laughs) on Netflix Oh my God, have I seen the documentary? Mate, I've seen the documentary like 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I love her. Have you seen it? Uh, yes, I haven't watched it 10 times, I'll admit, but I have seen oh, it. Oh my God. So I didn't think I could love her more. I didn't think, honestly, I didn't think I could love her more. Like, I love her so much because it's just funny. I think loving her is funny because I like shouting about how much I love her and just either making people a little bit like kind of uncomfortable by being like oh my god she loves Taylor Swift <laughs> yeah. and that's got out of control it's now like an in-joke now that I love her so much but by joking that I love her so much I do actually love her so much now <laughs> and for me the kind of like the big thing that I really enjoyed that I didn't really know that she was all about I kind of assumed she was about it because she's amazing um <laughs> was she talks about kind of kind of deprogramming the misogyny in her brain and that kind of breaking free of what she was expected to be uh, yeah. in the music industry. And I love that she disappeared for a year. She dropped off the radar for a mm. year. And I'm just like, oh, the dream. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, you know, she had struggles as well, you know, with kind of like harassment and bullying and stuff. And in the end, she just went, nah, fuck it. And she just went off. <laughs> she just went, just went like off the grid for a year. I don't know what she did for that year, like in a hut. Or did she have like a luxury hut? I was like thinking about her little hut that she lived in, in the forest or something. But yeah. that's what I would do if it was me. <laughs> but yeah, and- I like I like that part where she... She talks about deprogramming the misogyny from her brain and she gets she gets on a bit of a soapbox with it. Then she stops herself and apologizes. So she says, Oh God, I really got on my soapbox for that one. <laughs> she was like, Oh my God. So she was like, So I just apologized again. You know, I just apologized for, you know, speaking in my own house that I bought with my own money from my own songs that I wrote. You know, like she she apologized for that yeah. and she she just had that 
inherent apologetic nature that was kind of put on her from when she was young and I feel like I have that like a little bit of that I'm still trying to break through with that I tattooed a wonderful woman the other week and I I didn't even know I did it but I apologized just randomly about stuff I was just like oh yeah sorry and she was like don't do that just we don't say sorry not today we don't say sorry here I was just like fuck man like my clients have made me a better person and I sincerely thank them for that I've learned so much from my clients a lot of my blogs I've taken little snippets and little quotes and little bits and bobs from what my clients have taught me and I appreciate that so much and again if you're listening to this I hope that I've made you aware of that at some point if not, this is a sign, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I appreciate that so much. Like my clients have shaped, shaped me, and I'm so grateful for that. And uh, how much of an arsehole is Kanye West? I think that's just common knowledge at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is. <laughs> um, but but again, it's just it's just showbiz, baby. You know, it's just you know how much of that is actually real. You know, really. You know, it's all just what is it? Clout, hype. You know. Yeah, yeah. You're far cooler than me, Mark. You know more about this <laughs> than I do. Oh, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just know most of the lyrics to Taylor Swift songs. Like, that's it. That's and enough. I, I that's sin- enough. <laughs> yeah. I, I sincerely apologise to anyone out there that's, like, got tattooed and was maybe too polite to say, do you know what? Please don't put fucking Taylor Swift on today. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I really thought it was okay. So there you have it. That was episode five. I don't have a professional setup. Most of the time I'm recording with a hands-free set on my phone or a shitty mic that I picked up for 16 quid from Amazon. So until such a time that I do have a decent setup, one of the characteristics of this podcast is that whilst each episode is different, the quality relies a lot on the guests that I invite on and the content that they provide. And La is a fantastic example of that. Of course, that doesn't fill me with a huge amount of confidence ahead of any upcoming solo episodes. I'd like to sincerely thank La for agreeing to be part of the pod social and making this episode what it is. I had a great time recording it, despite the technical issues, and I hope you enjoyed listening. I've included links to La's Instagram and her blogs in the show notes, so please check those out. And don't forget, you can find the pod social on Instagram at Pod Social Podcast and Twitter at The Pod Social. Until next time, I've been Mark Mack. This has been The Pod Social, and thank you for listening.